My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 174, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Isaiah 47 through 49, Ezekiel 8 through 9. Isaiah 47, go down, sit in the dust, virgin daughter, Babylon, sit on the ground without a throne, queen city of the Babylonians. No more will you be called tender or delicate. Take millstones and grind flour, take off your veil, lift up your skirts, Bear your legs and wade through the streams. Your nakedness will be exposed and your shame uncovered. I will take vengeance. I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, is His name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence. Go in darkness. Queen city of the Babylonians. No more will you be called queen of kingdoms. I was angry with my people and desecrated my inheritance. I gave them into your hand, and you showed them no mercy. Even on the aged you laid a very heavy yoke. You said, I am forever the eternal queen. But you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment. On a single day, loss of children and widowhood, they will come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you. When you say to yourself, I am and there is none besides me, disaster will come upon you and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. Keep on then with your magic spells and with your many sorceries, which you have labored at since childhood. Perhaps you will succeed. Perhaps you will cause terror. All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologer come forward. Those stargazers who make predictions month by month, let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. These are not coals for warmth. This is not a fire to sit by. That is all they are to you. These you have dealt with and labored with since childhood. All of them go on in their error. There is not one that can save you. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah. You who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. You who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel. The Lord Almighty is His name. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron, your forehead was bronze. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. 
Before they happened, I announced them to you, so that you could not say, my images brought them about. My wooden image and metal god ordained them. You have heard these things. Look at them all. Will you not admit them? From now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now and not long ago. You have not heard of them before today. So you cannot say, yes, I knew of them. You have neither heard nor understood. From of old, your ears have not been open. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you. Though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. Come together, all of you, and listen. Which of the idols have foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission. Come near me and listen to this. From the first announcement I have not spoken in secret, at the time it happens I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me, endowed with his spirit. This is what the Lord says, Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be blotted out, nor destroyed from before you. Leave Babylon. Free, flee. Leave Babylon. Flee from the Babylonians. Announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called to me. From my mother's womb, he had spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadows of his hands, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. 
I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. Though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people, and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, This place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, Who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your savior, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Ezekiel 8. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there. I looked and I saw figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. And from there up, his appearance was a bright as a glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked, and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here, things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance to the court. I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. He said to me, Son of man, now dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and saw a doorway there. 
And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked and detestable things they are doing here. So I went in and looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and all the idols of Israel. In front of them stood seventy elders of Israel, and Jezani, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Again, he said, You will see them doing things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord and saw a woman sitting there mourning the god Tammuz. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? You will see things that are even more detestable than this. He then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord, and there at the entrance to the temple, between the portico and the altar, were about twenty-five men. With their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, they were bowing down to the sun in the east. He said to me, Have you seen this, son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? Look at them putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. Then I heard him call out in a loud voice, Bring near those who are appointed to execute judgment on the city each with a weapon in his hand, and I saw six men coming from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. With them was a man clothed in linen, who had a writing kit at his side. They came in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of God of Israel went up from above the cherubim, where it had been, and moved to the threshold of the temple. Then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing kit at his side, and said to him, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. As I listened, he said to the others, Follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter the old men, the young men, and the women, the mothers and children, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. Begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the old men who were in front of the temple. Then he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go. So they went out and began killing through the city. While they were killing and I was left alone, I fell face down, crying out, Alas, sovereign Lord, are you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel and this outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? He answered me, The sin of the people of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of bloodshed, and the city is full of injustice. They say, The Lord had forsaken the land, the Lord does not see. So I will not look on them with pity or spare them, but I will bring down on their own heads what they have done. Then the man in linen with the writing kit at his side brought back word saying, I have done as you command. Isaiah 48. Mm, I am so captured by this repeated statement. I, God, will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. These things aren't hidden or unknown to him, but they are to us. What is this thing? In verse 15, we read, I, God, have called him that God will bring him and that he will succeed in his mission. Oh my goodness, do you see what I'm seeing? 
we've had hints from Genesis 3.15 about a descendant of Eve coming to crush the head of the adversary, and in the process, his heel will be bruised, and we've had hints that it would be a baby, but this, this is more. So in this section that Marty Solomon and Dr. Mackey call the description of the servant, we're reading about this ultimate exemplary servant who we know is Jesus Christ and who's coming. We are also reading that God is calling out servants, his remnant, to leave Babylon. There is not peace for the wicked and to be a light to the Gentiles, which yes, is or are non-Jewish people. But I also read this as those who do not understand who God is, the story we are in, and the call to be the redeemed and restored people to be a part of that restoration and redemption mission on earth as he has and is calling us to do. In this part of Ezekiel, I am reminded of the importance of seeing and not just looking, of recognizing all the detestable things in my heart and around me and spending a season, a time, a moment, however long is necessary in grief and lamentation, reflecting on the why and remembering that the cost in our hearts and around us is death. It's judgment, and the only way to be rescued, redeemed, restored, is through Jesus Christ. In the Western world, I think it's easy to slip into a consumeristic mindset about literally everything to make it a philosophy for our life. And what I mean is, I think we sometimes underestimate the cost and overestimate the sense that we can have and control things. For example, if we want patience— We can't just buy this trait or say we want it, right? Think about how we cultivate patience in our children and ourselves. I know there is this self-denial. We don't give things immediately, a sense of self-sacrifice, a delay in a sense of gratification, a putting of someone else first or considering others in what we're doing. There's this discipline involved and not just involved, but practiced time and time again towards progress and being able to use that trait of patience in our lives, in that situation we're specifically practicing, and then be able to use that in other and new situations. If we want to play the piano or a new sport, we can't just buy it, upload it. I know maybe technology gives us more of that sense. There's an experimentation in the process, a failing forward, a get up and try again in the direction we want to go. An important qualification, though, is the who and why. I've asked my students in a marketing course about the brand motto for Nike, just do it. On one hand, I think many of us viscerally like this motto when we think about the grit and perseverance needed to head in the direction of a goal. But we also might innately recognize the limitation of this motto because who determines the goal, the direction, the action we're just doing in the first place? Is it ourselves? Are we the God in this scenario? Is it an idol we worship? Or is the direction of our lives rooted in the whose we are and the why, what, where, and how subject to our understanding of God's word, a spirit of humble prayerfulness toward, like David, asking the Lord if we are just doing or what we're doing is for him, is what he wants in our action, response, what to do, not do, or how to do it. A consumeristic mindset so often leads to an I, an I-only lifestyle, where all consumer products and other things like dating, careers, etc. are only consulted from the perspective of what I want or me and my tribe, 
But surely we know from what we're reading, this mindset would easily pull us away from the story, from our God, because it quickly seems to orient us toward God being a part of our world instead of us being a part of His. It quite naturally makes us think we know goodness and can compare God to it, and that we can acquire any and all types of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, particularly through Google and maybe all this AI talk, and compare God to it. We have to be so careful to see our culture through the Lord's vision and not our Lord through our culture's vision. Not that we'll master this, but this is the posture I think the Lord wants. And one of those big main things is this idea that all discomfort or denial is bad and that comfort, safety, and happiness, that's the idol or thing that we worship. Don't get me wrong, I love comfort, safety, and happiness. But even like in our, you know, in the United States' Declaration of Independence, happiness is qualified as a pursuit. And I also wonder if that pursuit is an idol or the goal or something that's just a part of it. Oh, lots to think about. Pleasure is the terminal goal and instrument value in so many cases. It becomes the end goal and the process of the goal. It's to be happy, comfortable, and safe. I sometimes am even reminded of this when I'm on like customer service calls for various vendors or things for different reasons. And whether it's an automated voice message or the script of their support staff is, you know, I hope you have a safe and comfortable or happy life in some sort of version. And I'm like, I don't think that that's inherently bad, but I wonder if it's been repeated and emphasized so much in particularly the Western or American culture that that becomes the end goal and the process goal. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I hope all of us love the countries that we're in and that we all seek to restore and redeem them. So what I hope and what I hope you're hearing is that there might be something we can do to sort of restore and redeem the focus and reorient comfort, safety, and happiness from being the end goal and the process priority to something that we hope to and consider in how we create and achieve policies. But as I said earlier, a goal of patience, as an example, could not be achieved with comfort and happiness and a sense of safety because patience at its very essence has a stepping out or sitting with at least a little, if not a lot, of discomfort because perhaps it requires self-denial in something or we have to wait for something. The Bible talks of joy, which is found in scripture. And interestingly, through science, it's something more than happiness. It's not a synonym with happiness. Joy and happiness are not the same. Joy is found through gratitude, which is a practice. I'm not sure if you've read the book of Joy by Archbishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama or Anne Voskamp's A Thousand Gifts book, but these go deeply into discernment regarding what joy is and what it really means and also what other people think it means, like, you know, because the archbishop is from the Catholic perspective, and then we have the Dalai Lama giving a different perspective. So going back here, regarding joy and what it really means, like patience, there's this element of sacrifice. Even if I'm not experiencing a moment of happiness, like a transient moon state, I can still take steps in gratitude, which strengthen joy, and joy can offer us stability through suffering And we are reading that God is our sanctuary, our wing. There's something I can be grateful for 
to cover us through exile, through judgment, when we're in the fire, in the valley of the shadow of death, experiencing the storm. We are hewn, and we're reminded here in this part of the story, we're hewn in the quarry and refined in the fire. For me, I'm so convicted of how often I try to delay, put off, or completely avoid the fire, the discomfort, particularly in the area of my life I know God is calling me to shake, and to shake for the purpose of heart and behavior transformation for Him. My prayer is that we all take a few moments to reflect on the difference between joy and happiness, peace and comfort, because we are reading that we can have peace in discomfort, and we can have joy even in unhappy moments. We are also being reminded that growth happens in the trial. May these trials shake out what is detestable and unjust in us and around us. May we participate in what is clearly important to the Lord, the act of loving Him, Shema, that leads to obedience, where we are about being helpful to others, restoring what can what we can towards renewal all around us in our spheres of influence in our own communities in our own hearts and having a heart a posture a practice of self-sacrificial love for others where we seek to love them how the lord is loving us in this story and in our lives today with pursuit with urgency with generosity and with so much grace and mercy Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.